Welcome to Legends of Data and AI. Each episode includes inspiring and actionable data and artificial intelligence insights from global leaders across industries. Your host, Dr. Usama Fayyad, was the first chief data officer at Yahoo and is chairman of Open Insights and executive director of the Institute for Experiential AI at Northeastern University. Welcome, everyone, to our uh, podcast series, Legends of Data and AI, um, where we try to address uh, issues of making AI work in the real world and turning data into assets. Uh, the idea here is through episodes to meet with uh, industry leading thinkers uh, and discuss these topics on how do we make AI uh, work in reality. Uh, I'm uh, uh, speaking with you from my office in Silicon Valley, and with me today is Ibrahim Gökçen, who uh, has been working with uh, Open Insights uh, on helping us figure out how large enterprises, uh, drawing on his prior experiences with many international large enterprises, uh, how these large enterprises make use of, of data and AI, uh, and uh, uh, and address kind of the, the real world problems and the real world applications. Uh, welcome, Ibrahim. Uh, it would be lovely to have you introduce yourself very briefly. Thank you so much, Osama. First of all, I'm delighted to be the inaugural guest and speaker of this really important uh, podcast series. I think there's a lot of conversation about data and AI, but the operationalization of them and creating value by them is still a bit of a mystery. So I think this series will uh, have a lot of these different influencers and thinkers, and they will shed lights on how enterprises are dealing with this and how uh, I think they are creating value in, in different ways. So I'm really delighted to be here. And as you said, uh, most of my career was spent with large uh, international companies. I started with GE, I had many roles in the research department as a CIO, of a region and as a product leader for our software business. And then I was the chief digital officer for Maersk, which was at the time the first chief digital officer, not only in the industry, but also in that region as well. And then I moved to Schneider Electric to be their chief technology officer for the digital organization. So I've seen different industries, I've seen different companies, different ways of using data and AI. And I also uh, sit on the boards of both public and private companies, and I oversee the management teams in trying to figure out these for their companies as well as for their business models. So I hope to bring some of that insight and some of that experience into that into our discussion and conversation. Great. So let me let me start with a quick question. So first of all, um, do you believe that AI is is relevant to most businesses, and and if so, um, how do you make it work? What what does it take? Absolutely. So as I said, I've seen the transformations of multiple industries, whether power, energy management, industrial automation, transport and logistics, in, in very different roles as a team leader, as an executive. And while each of these companies and industries were at a different state, each were trying to either re-architect its business model or industry with AI, or was about to start to re-architect their business model and industry with AI. And with the abundance of storage and compute capabilities and all the cloud services that are available now, AI has been pretty much commoditized when you, co when you look at the technology aspects of AI. But I think the real challenge is 
how do you how do these companies create impact, especially auditable impact, using these technologies, solving some of their highest impact use cases? And from my experience, obviously, it all starts with a, a well-defined data strategy that is aligned with the business objectives. But you have to really understand where your data sources are and how do you integrate them and combine them to solve some of the key uh, pain points or highest impact use cases for the company. And then uh, once you have the data strategy, it's not good enough because you also have to govern it in large enterprises. So data governance in terms of where data is created, how do you master that data? How do you create a unified view of your customers or suppliers or uh, products also becomes extremely important. And then obviously you have to have a kind of a data as a service. You have to have a different way of ingesting the data, transforming the data and orchestrating your analytics inside the company. And after that only you can truly start to scale up your AI implementations because now you have a very solid foundation and you're not reinventing the wheel or you're not doing the same work over and over again at each uh, as you're solving each use case, but you are building reusable components and you're always incrementally enhancing your capabilities to solve these problems. So I think, you know, governance, strategy, data as a service, and then this um, idea that, you know, you have to be able to prioritize what you work on and focus on the highest impact use cases. That's why, that's how companies make it work from the uh, examples that I've seen. I find it very uh, uh, interesting and enlightening that uh, you know, the, the question was about making AI work and you jumped immediately to data, which actually pretty much aligns with a lot of my experiences. Uh, you know, most of the people out there because of the hype don't understand that uh, without data and without machine learning, uh, AI cannot be made to work in practice. And, and that's a, a, a missed point by, by many organizations where they think AI can do things on its own. Since data is so critical to make AI work, why do you think it's been a challenging area for most organizations? What, what's so difficult about it? I think what's difficult is you have to really look at uh, the historical treatment of data and how companies have, have seen data. And that kind of resulted in the IT landscapes or the data landscapes that we see today. But if you look at historically, uh, finance wanted to control data because they didn't want different entities in the organization to create their own versions of the truth. Like they didn't want different leaders to go to the CEO and present a different uh, way of you know, revenues or cost numbers. So they wanted to really control it. And the same with other functions. Every function wanted to control the, the data that they have access to. And enterprise architecture, including data architecture, was seen mostly as a you know, governing function, it wasn't seen as an innovation enabler. It wasn't seen as a strategic enabler. So, and then the decision-making on what kind of platforms to use, how to ingest data into which tool was also very uh, decentralized. So if you look at, you know, all these different components of what organizations did before, obviously it's not a surprise to see that data is sitting in silos today and people are trying to kind of create their own views of the data just to accelerate their own use cases and transformations. And I think that is one of the main reasons why uh, companies are struggling today. And the way to solve that is 
kind of invest a lot more into this uh, enterprise architecture, data architecture, create an elegant data model that represents your business. You know, some of the, uh, some of the leading thinkers talk about this as the knowledge graph. You know, we have to create that knowledge graph for the company. And furthermore, I think another element was companies thought they should protect their data at all costs and not share with anybody else. Like, you know, across their competitors, across their peers, they thought that creates the competitive advantage. Whereas today we know that in fact, to enhance the customer experience, different participants may need to work together and they may need to share their data and insights with each other. So that culture also is, is changing a little bit the, uh, with the understanding that you cannot do everything alone and you have to really partner with other companies. These could be your peers again, but these could also be companies that have done this many, many times before. And I think Open Insights is a great example because you don't need to actually uh, learn doing these things from scratch. There are lots of examples out there. There are lots of uh, best practices out there. So companies must be more willing to kind of uh, learn from others, share data with others. And within their organization, they have to focus on democratizing data to the entire population because that's really the only way to, um, to unleash innovation to, and unleash value creation inside the company. I've, I've been uh, uh, fortunate to be privy to many cases where I've witnessed how data can, can drive growth. I'm sure you have as well. I know you have. Uh, but the real question is, I always say, uh, you know, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. So what, what, how do you create a culture that facilitates data-driven growth? And I, this is a long topic, so maybe very briefly. Yeah. So very briefly, I think, um, I like to think of it as like both top-down and bottoms-up. And I think uh, now there is this understanding that the board of directors, senior executives, and the senior leadership, they have to drive this uh, strategic direction across the company. But I think people are sometimes missing the value of also this bottoms-up transformation, which is now actually very easy to do through the concepts like citizen developers or citizen integrators or citizen data scientists. Because today the technology is available, like low code, no code, automation, and the employee population who are not trained on technology is a lot bigger than the employee population who are trained on technology. So the companies really should focus a lot more on not only the top down, which is absolutely important in creating the culture, but also empowering the entire organization enabled by technology so that they can drive this transformation across all levels of the organization. I think the companies who can do that really succeed. The companies who cannot do that is again, stuck with uh, either a, a number of use cases that are low impact or that cannot scale up. I cannot agree with you more. I mean, in fact, uh, the, the whole idea of data literacy and understanding the value of data as an asset is, is critical. Has, um, in your opinion, has COVID-19 affected the importance of data and how? I think, you know, um, certainly, because if we think of what we do now, we have adopted a lot more digital channels and digital platforms. Everybody knows COVID accelerated the digitization and digital transformation. And it's a very simple, uh, it's, it's very simple to understand, right? We have always talked about a data flywheel where you have some data, you use that data to understand your customers better and consumers better. And then through that understanding, you create a new set of products and services. And through those products and services, you create even more data. 
obviously you understand them even better. And then you kind of create this flywheel. I think the biggest impact of COVID to this is that it significantly accelerated this flywheel because there are more people using a lot more digital platforms. And suddenly, you know, uh, this, this concept is kind of exponential, is, is exponentially grown. And the fact that this has grown obviously means that there's a lot more different ways to monetize and to transform the business models and, and then to create even new businesses out of this data. So to me, and you know, not to mention all the re-architecture the, the re using AI and machine learning of existing business models. So there's a huge impact, I think, just from this data flywheel concept and all these new digital products and services that are available to a lot more people now. Yeah, and it's been, uh, it's been sad for me to observe in many digital transformations, people forget about data. And I often say, uh, digital without data leads to blindness because you lose your ability to understand what the customers are doing, how the products are performing, why people are leaving you, why are they joining you, etc. Which, which used to come from the human touch that got digitized and got uh, automated. Uh, one last question here, or next to the last. Uh, did the economy of interactions that, that we live in today uh, change when COVID-19 arrived? Uh, what will be different post uh, our overcoming this pandemic and kind of going back to uh, normalcy or some kind of new normals? I mean, I think certainly some of our behaviors will be back to norm normal uh, or what we were used to before COVID. And some of them will be this hybrid situation, right? We all talk about the work and envir work environment. But I think what will not change is the point I made just now, is this uh, data flywheel, or you can now restructure it as more of a, a knowledge graph. Uh, it's already accelerated and exploded in size. You know, think of that graph as the economy of interactions as well, is the nodes are kind of people and digital platforms. And then the edges are really these transactions and interactions. And just, just everybody looking at their own lives, you can imagine how much more digital tools and platforms you use and how many more people are using that. Now, you know, we, we used to not, we used to go to physically to grocery stores and then many people now do it completely online, right? So that's a new set of, interactions and transactions and that graph has exploded and it will stay as is it's not going to change and the companies who can really leverage that uh, growth in that knowledge graph or the economy of interactions will really differentiate themselves and this is very typical you know in every crisis there are these companies who truly understand the environment and then leverage the opportunities fully and get ahead of others. And there are others who are left behind. So I think I will see that exact same dynamic in this crisis as well. Thank you. Very, very good observations, Ibrahim. Um, in the wrap up, what, what's the one last thought, brief thought you'd like to share with people as, as we kind of wrap up this, this podcast? I think the one uh, final Kind of point I will make is, uh, again, I made this point earlier, nobody needs to suffer alone or in their own isolated environments. There's so much technology available outside. There's so much help available. And there are companies, I, I think Open Insights is one of them clearly, who have built these recipes and accelerators, meaning, you know, almost like as you're cooking something, there are certain steps and there are certain things you need to do and they are proven to work. So you have to really leverage those recipes. 
And then on the accelerators, there are certain architectures, there are certain uh, APIs or components that truly help you create value as soon as possible. Right? I would encourage everyone to really uh, partner with others to understand who can help. And then uh, again, not suffer or not wait for building the internal organization fully or to, um, to kind of be fully capable of creating value. I mean, you can do things in weeks. You know, we have experience in, and you have experience too. Companies can create value in weeks rather than months. And with that, you already create a momentum and you already uh, get the buy-in from the senior stakeholders and then you can accelerate your progress. So I would say that's kind of my um, call to action for everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, uh, sharing. And Ibrahim uh, Gokshan, it, it's been uh, great to have you share your insights, your experiences, and your, your practical and incisive views on, on how to approach these things and, and make them work. Uh, I would encourage everyone to post questions in the discussion sections for the podcast and the video, and we will be answering those on uh, LinkedIn and the social media. Uh, with that, uh, I thank you once again, Ibrahim. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this is Usama Fayyad, uh, Chairman and Founder of Open Insights. Uh, and this is uh, our series uh, of podcasts called Legends of Data and AI. We look forward to welcoming uh, many more industry luminaries on this uh, platform. Thank you, Ibrahim. And uh, thank you so much, Usama. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Legends of Data and AI. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of data and AI. If you're keen to learn more about making data and AI work in the real world and in any organization, join us next episode and subscribe to the podcast. As always, you can head over to open-insights.com to sign up for our email list, learn more about the work we do, and have access to data resources. See you on the next podcast.